Hey everybody, this is Chris and Jason from Silver Solutions Podcast. Join us as we chat with people from around the globe as they share their real life stories of recovery. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe so you can easily find us and our latest episodes. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 58. And tonight we have a special guest, Chuck D., uh, formerly of Los Angeles, California, now residing in Rochester, New York. Hey, Chuck, how you doing? I'm great, Jason. Thank you. Um, so glad to be here. And um, thank you for the invitation. And I'm really looking forward to, to speaking with you guys tonight. Absolutely. I'm very excited to have you on the show tonight. I have been in touch with you uh, for many years, um, but recently since getting sober, um, I think you were one of the first people I really contacted when I got out of rehab and started this journey. Um, you know, I, I'd been in touch with you a couple times before rehab and, you know, not successfully um, getting sober, but I, I appreciate the inspiration that you brought to my recovery program. Um, so I'm really glad to have you on the show tonight. Thank you. You know, I remember where I was when I was connecting with you. I was in my backyard at my place in LA. And like, for me at that time, knowing someone that I essentially grew up with or went to school with that was getting sober, like it felt good to know that someone else was on that same path as me that sort of had some similar experiences. And it's great to see you where you're at right now. I was rooting for you, you checking in and talking about all those milestones that you were making and things that were opening up in your life. Again, it made me really happy to hear how well you were doing. So I really appreciate that. As you said, we went to school together, and I know a little bit about your background, um, but I've never heard about your story. So for me and the rest of our listeners, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Cool. So buckle up. Unfortunately, when I knew you in high school, I wasn't a drinker, really. I drank maybe three or four times. It wasn't until I got to college that things really took off. The first week of school, when my parents didn't have a tight leash on me, I was running around the dorm rooms naked. I had been arrested. I tipped over a porta potty with someone inside it. Like I went from zero to a hundred in like a matter of days. Um, and through college, I was a hard drinker and really, really few repercussions. Wake up late, hungover, early twenties. It's like, it doesn't hurt yet. It hurts much later. Drank like that through college, still a hard drinker, moved to New York city. Things kind of escalated a little bit, but I was still kind of managing my life. It really wasn't until I moved to LA and in 2008 where things went completely downhill. It was after a bad breakup. It was in July of 2008 was the first time I remember camping out in my room with a handle of vodka and looking at that and seeking solution exclusively in the bottle and not caring about anything else. And I drank for like four days straight. And from that point on, I was probably a daily drinker for almost seven years. I started drinking and driving frequently, drinking at work, um, drinking before any social engagements, getting into really risky situations, making bad choices. And essentially, alcohol became my solution. I didn't really dabble in other stuff. I had tried a little bit in college, but I gave it all to booze. And I was starting to probably around 2013, 2014, really feel the effects of it. I had lost a lot of friends. I was isolating. I was incredibly depressed. I was in a toxic relationship. Once that relationship ended, the last six months of my drinking were the darkest times of my life. My routine consisted of this. This was my daily routine at the end. It was wake up shaking, 
have booze right next to my bed. And it was often a bottle of wine. And by the way, like, that's how bad it got. Like, I was a scotch drinker, right? But at the end, it was like, whatever it took, whatever could get in my system fast enough that I wasn't going to throw up. And it makes me sick talking about it now because it's a gross feeling, right? You wake up and the first thing you do is like, I have to stop shaking. Or God forbid you wake up in the middle of the night and you need to drink that to go back to bed. I'd wake up, I would have a couple drinks, get ready for work, have a beer in the shower, head to the liquor store before work, pick up three of the mini absolute bottles um, and something to chase it, drink two of those on the way to the office. Once I got to the office, I would drink another one. And then I would wait till lunch. I'd go to the bar. And once I got to the bar, I would have a couple drinks, go back to the office, have some meetings on the way home, stop at the liquor store, pick up a fifth of vodka, a couple bottles of wine, and that was it. And I would do this in three-week increments. So I would sober up by myself in my room over the course of a weekend, go through tremendous crazy sweats and panic attacks and all the fun things that come with alcohol withdrawal that you do on your own. Then I'd eventually get a night's sleep, like a Sunday night, I'd get a couple hours. And I'd start the three-week cycle again. Monday, I'd probably stay sober. Maybe. Maybe. Tuesday, I definitely was not, but I only had a couple drinks. Wednesday was four. Thursday was six. Friday was 10. So on and so forth. And I repeated that cycle for so long. And at the end, it was just really, really dark. And um, the day before I got sober, July uh, 23rd, 2015, I was going to attempt suicide. And I called a friend that was a suicide prevention counselor, and I, she talked me off the ledge. And the next day I went to the office, I had that routine and I passed out in front of a bunch of people. Um, the gig was up. I went to my first AA meeting that day. I walked in, I said, what am I supposed to do? I remember the looks of the people. I sat down and they said, what you need to do is raise your hand and that's how you identify. And I remember doing it. I remember hearing the words and I'm an alcoholic come out of my mouth. And there was this giant wave of relief that came over to me. A couple guys after the meeting came up to me, they handed me a big book and said, you know, you never have to drink again. And I did not believe them. And one of those guys called me the next day and said, can I take you to a meeting? And I said, you know, what's your agenda, dude? Like, what are you trying to do? I did not realize the concept of service, that through that simple and kind act, he himself was trying to stay sober. But I went with him. And we listened to this guy share for 45 minutes, who was a crazy heroin addict. I went up to him, I'm like, thank you so much for your share. He's like, you know, there's tons of meetings here. You should go to all this meeting and this meeting. There's a beach meeting. LA, they have beach meetings. I went to the Venice Beach meeting for three years in early recovery. And I went there, I met a sponsor. I worked the steps in three months. I did exactly what I was told. He had me sponsoring in about 100 days. And I've been super active in the program for the last seven years and three or four months or, you know, whatever, however long it's been. Uh, it does not mean there hasn't been ups and downs, but recovery in my connection to my higher power today are like the greatest things I got going in my life. I met my wife in recovery. I'm a father now. This weekend, I'm probably be a little past for your listeners, but I'm running the marathon. Uh, which will be my second marathon. Uh, I started two businesses this year. Like there's a lot of stuff that I never dreamed of doing. Reaching 40 was never going to happen. I was either going to take myself out or die from alcoholism. Here I am at 41, happier than ever, like content with a new solution. It was no longer alcohol. It was something new. And so I talk to you today, profoundly grateful for this program because it changed my life. It saved my life. I gave life to my daughter. So yeah, I mean, it was a bumpy, bumpy, painful chaotic ride, but I don't think I would change it. I'm the person I am today because of all of the pain that I went through and everything that happened that led up to me getting sober. And then everything from the point that I got sober that connected me to my higher power and the aspect of the program that I am most drawn to, which is the spiritual aspect of it. All of that 
factored into who I am today, what my belief system is, how I interact with people, and how I look at the world and the lens in which I view everything now, all been affected by recovery in a really profound, beautiful way. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a little bit about my story and a little bit, uh, there's a lot of dark details or some funny moments. There's a lot, a lot of sad moments, but that's kind of it. Recovery is amazing and it, it saved my life. That's amazing, Chuck. And thanks for that. I never heard your story before. Like I said, it brings you and what you've brought to me into perspective. You really have that inspirational piece. And as you were talking, just the degree of pain and suffering that you were putting yourself through is so prevalent in what you said. And and I'm sure there's more to that. But I totally identified with that, especially when you said reaching 40 was never in the plan for me. I talk about this all the time that at the end of my last run, I could barely get off the couch. I was drinking vodka right out of the bottle, but I was like leaning on the couch to spill it into my mouth because I just couldn't get up. I was so weak from all the drugs and alcohol that was in my body that like I just couldn't function. And I was telling people that I had this terminal disease because I didn't want them to think that, oh, alcohol took him out. It was this other thing that he had. And just the pain and suffering that I was feeling, but the pain and suffering that I was causing people because the disease that I told people that I had was the one that my mom died from. And so I have so much to live through and doing my living amends and talking to people now that I told them I had six months left. And now when I hit six months of sobriety, like that was a huge milestone for me. When I hit 40 back in June this year, that was a huge milestone for me because like you said, I wasn't supposed to be here. And it wasn't until I found recovery that I found this new way of life. Jason, that's beautiful. And I didn't know any of that about you either. I mean, so really you had committed to death. Like you were coming up with a plan to explain to people why you would no longer be here. That made sense because people knew that your mom had passed away. It was diabolical in a sense. They talk about the insanity. It's like, it's like kind of control and manipulation from like a really dark place. Like, let me control how people perceive why, how I left this planet. In some ways it's insightful because it gives people at home an idea of like the way that we think and how we go about stuff, like the plans we make and in the dark places that we live in and when we're in that place. It's sad, but it's also beautiful because like, look at who you are and what you are now, like what you represent and how far you've come. Essentially a creature on a couch to like this beautiful human that's like inspiring people to better themselves and save their lives. And it's great. The three week cycles, I used to do the exact same thing. Timing a little different, but same progressive growth and then take like three days of misery and start the cycle again and on and on and on until it wasn't sustainable. And once at the end of my stint, it was almost the same thing. The gig was up at work. I got fired. I got called right out. I mean, it was bad. I have a great job right now, but I'm dealing with some of that residual effects. And that made me actually a couple days ago realize I have some more amends to do. One thing I was thinking about while you were telling your story is you mentioned pain a lot, right? Can you expand a little on how you use pain for uh, progress or for growth? That's a great question. And I didn't see it at the time because when you're in it, all pain is, is like what you want to run from, right? So like 
whether it's emotional pain or mental anguish, or often was physical pain from withdrawals or needing drinks, or I hurt myself the night before. But here's how I look at pain now on the sort of the far side of where I was before. So when we're like growing up, right? Like we're kids and I'm seeing this right now in my 15 month old, like today she's like flying down the stairs, right? And does not understand that like that is dangerous until she hurts herself. And then when she hurts herself a couple of times, um, she's going to know that she needs to scoot down on her backside because that's the only safe way for her to actually get down the stairs. Not that I'm allowing my daughter to go down the stairs. I'm actually trying to teach her in case she needs to know. I'm having fun with her right now. It's all safe. My point being is that when we're in it, we're not looking at pain as this thing that pushes us in different directions. Pain is what got me sober. The pain of having to be honest with the people at work about how bad I was. It's the pain of having to be honest with my friend who was a suicide prevention counselor about how depressed I was. The physical pain about all the withdrawals that I had gone through, the many times that I had detox in my room by myself eventually pushed me to a place of seeking a different solution. So in that way, that pain motivated me towards recovery. Now I'm sober, right? So what does pain do for me now in this place? Well, consider for a moment that God talks to me in a lot of different ways, right? He talks to me through Jason. He talks to me through, you know, Chris right now. He talks to me through my wife. He talks to me through nature a lot of different ways. But like, I actually believe he also talks to me through pain. So in a situation where I may feel uncomfortable, I'm now bringing awareness to it and looking at that uncomfortable feeling is a way, is a signal to be drawn to look at something deeper, right? So um, let's say, for example, I don't want to have a conversation with my mom about something that she did recently, right? And it makes me super uncomfortable. So rather than avoid that, like I did pre-recovery, I'll lean into it. I'll look deep into that pain, that uncomfortable feeling and say, why is it that I feel this way? What is God trying to teach me in this moment? I'll run inventory. Right. So really what it comes down to is I'm in financial fear for her. I feel like I need to control her life. And so a number of other things as well. So in that instance, pain has now become a motivator for me to look deep within myself, to bring out the things that I'm running from and to grow closer to my higher power and to my fellows and to my, my loved ones with it. So pain is a tool. And we often think of it as just this giant deterrent, but like, it's really not like we all use pain. The other thing I would think about, or in terms of your answer, Chris, is like, we don't see it until we're through. Like the mental obsession is the, is the big book talks about it, right? It's we keep putting our hand on the hot stove. We fail to bring into uh, consciousness sufficient memory of the, the pain and torture of all the different times that we walk into the liquor store, that we get the, the drugs from the dealer. Like we don't remember what that was like. So this concept of pain where you're looking at it and using it as a deterrent, using it effectively doesn't work until you can get past that mental obsession because it just doesn't come into, into consciousness. You can't recognize pain as anything other than what it is when you're in it. You have to be on the far side of it. Um, you have to recover. And I do believe we recover from this disease. I don't think we're ever cured from it, but I know today because I do the work that I don't suffer from a hopeless state of mind and body. So I feel like today, right now, when I'm talking to you, I'm recovered. Like I am, I'm not cured. Tomorrow, I have to do the work again to be able to, to have the same experience, to be able to look at pain in the same way that I described it to you. I guess the last thing I would say on it is like the degree of the pain that I have often aligns with how much and how quickly I should look at it. So if I'm struck like, oh, 
this thing happened and it's bothering me so much. And like right now I'm in some financial fear because I just moved across the country. A lot of uh, issues came up in terms of finances that I wasn't anticipating. Well, what am I really scared of, right? I'm having trouble sleeping at night. What it comes down to is me not having faith that God has a plan for me. I am trying to control it all. So the pain that I'm feeling, that I am allowing myself to investigate and look at, as a motivator is showing me that I need to have greater faith, that I need to trust that God has a plan for me. And when I do that, that pain subsides. So to circle back to the initial thing, that's God's way of talking to me. He can talk to me through my feelings. He can talk to me through pain. Um, so we've now taken pain, which is this like super annoying thing that I would drink on and turned it into something that is this like crazy effective tool that helps me be closer to God. And that only comes through recovery. I keep thinking about, I had an interview a week and a half ago and the recruiter called me and actually said they were going to pass on me. I was in shock uh, and that sounds really conceited, but the interview went very well. And after the interview, they said, wow, that went great. They gave me great feedback, like right there. And they said, we'll let you know what position. So I was surprised. And I came to hear that it was something that I did during active addiction that a former employee who now works there, they reached out and asked for feedback. And there was five people, four of them gave good feedback. They really took this feedback to heart. And they asked me about why I left that company. And I kind of skirted around the answer. And since that interview, I've been having this anxiety about that answer. And I wasn't truly honest. I didn't want to go deep into it on interview one, right? So after that, I called them back and I said, hey, I would like some feedback. What could I have done better? And I just explained. I said, I heard from an employee that there was some feedback. And I was honest with them. And now I have a follow-up interview next Tuesday. I don't know if it was pride or what the reason was, but I was feeling that anxiety, that pain, like all week over something that, like you said, I could have used as a tool, should I have been honest? Yeah, I think if we looked more at pain in, as a tool, as opposed to like running from it, run it towards, run towards it, we would solve a lot of our problems. For me, pain is so comfortable because I know that feeling. And so it's easy for me to punish myself and put myself down and be in the state of anxiety and fear and stress than it is for me to be comfortable and feel as though I'm free. And so having that sense of I'm working towards something, it's so easy for me. I love to punish myself. I don't know if the two of you can really relate to that because I just use that tool to beat myself up for as much as I possibly can. And I find myself even now with over two years of, of sobriety, which I'm still young in recovery, but I find myself beating myself up for small little things because it reminds me of that scene from Da Vinci Code where he's beating himself with the, or tying the Salise around his neck. It, it just brings that feeling of, I need to do better. And it drives me, kind of like what you're talking about, Chuck, it's driving me, but in a, in a negative way almost. Silas, the Opus Dei, the hardcore Christian sect, Yes. Whipping himself in the back. He's a martyr, right? They say martyr syndrome. And um, yeah, like I do that too, by the way. And when we talk about character defects, it's probably another podcast. Um, you know, that's one of my big ones as well, is I take comfort in people feeling sorry for me and me feeling sorry for myself because it's a familiar feeling.
in some ways, what that is, is me seeking solution in a place other than God. I'm seeking solution in pain. I'm seeking solution in misery because it's a familiar, comfortable place. And it's tough. And unless you have awareness that that is actively happening, you know, you probably can't pull yourself out of it. I get it. Like, you know, they say having a pity party. It's like, yeah, sometimes it's good to feel sorry for myself. Again, it's like hard to, for people to understand what that's like, unless you, you've been there and you do it. And it's a solution that you have. It's like, let me just go be in my room by myself for a while. But even in that, if you can identify other feelings other than pain around it, you know, maybe it's guilt. Um, maybe it's, you know, other stuff too. It's like all of these sensations that we get to experience with humans tell us something more than just, hey, this is a thing. But like we never really pay attention to it. I talk all the time with my sponsors about awareness. Pray for awareness because without awareness, you can't do shit. You don't have the pause. You can't bring into consciousness anything that's happened. Ask God to be present and be aware because when you're aware, you can experience everything you're feeling in the moment and then you can try to pick it apart. Then you can dissect it. Then you can look deeper into those things. But candidly, it all starts with awareness. So when did that awareness come for you? During your journey, when did you start to really have that awareness that you were using pain in this way? How did you get to where you are right now? It took a little bit because I wasn't used to being still. Like, so for me to be present, like I can't be consumed with like life, right? I can't be running around. Like I have to be quiet. I have to listen. So it took me actively making time to listen to myself to be present. I couldn't just wake up present. It doesn't work that way. You know, for any alcoholic or addict, you wake up and your head starts the marathon. You know what I mean? It's like, I got 26 miles to run today. I'm going to start right now. Hold on a second. I need to make active time to be present with myself. So again, we look at the step process. Like, what is that? Like step 10 and 11. So that is an inventory. It's a daily inventory and it's connecting with God through prayer and meditation. A lot of people think meditation is like, yoga and like all that other fun stuff. But like when Bill and, and Bob wrote the book, meditation was defined as a contemplative exercise. So for me, sometimes that's just going for a walk and that's it. And so when I was able to start taking time to be quiet and to quiet myself and to separate myself from like the craziness of the day, whether it was a morning routine or a meeting where I'm focused on a speaker, then I started to become aware. You talk a lot about it progression within the steps. I think something that it seems like you have a good grasp on is step three. That's something I've been struggling with. I am very controlling and I have a hard time separating. Is this me turning my will, my way, my decisions, everything over to God? Or am I supposed to actually put in the effort, do this, that, you know, try to control a situation? And I have a very hard time differentiating. Can you kind of expand on how you got to that point? Because I feel like within a career, it's sometimes harder for me than my day-to-day -day life, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. I probably get asked this question by my sponsors more than any other question. Like, how do I separate my will from God's will? Sounds like that's essentially what you're saying. Yes, I've gotten a multitude of answers over the last week. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, so like, here's what I would say. Look inward. So ask yourself the question and then listen to how you feel. And I don't know the answer to it, but like when I am having trouble differentiating my will from God's will, like I ask, like, is this me? Is this your will? And then I listen to myself. And if I'm, if I'm feeling anxiety, if I'm feeling fear around it, oftentimes that's my will. But if I feel 
serenity, if I feel peace around it, then oftentimes that's not, that's God's will. Again, it takes being present and aware to be able to run that through the filter. Unfortunately, this isn't a test that necessarily works when like you're in traffic. Is this my will or God's will? I'm going to run this off the road right now, you know, like, but I take everything to God, take it to God and then build a system with him. You know, it's kind of like when you practice a language, it's like, you know, work out what your language is with God. And if this is an issue that you're having, Chris, I would take it to him and say, hey, help me, you know, build this, this rhetoric with you, this communication system with you that allows me to be more clear because I know you want me to do your will. So help me, help me see the difference. And so if I were you, I would take it to him and ask him for clarity and then work on it, uh, put the work in and see if God connects with you and, and shows you exactly that he's working with you. I always tell sponsees, ask God to communicate to you in a way in which you will understand exclusively. And I've never had a sponsee not have their higher power reach out to them in some weird, unique way that they felt the goosebumps for. And that they believed that that was something greater than themselves touching base saying, hey, I'm here. I got your back. All is well. Just keep an eye on me. So I would take it to him or her or it or whatever your your version of God is. Those God moments, as I've heard them called before, come in so many different ways. I think part of it is asking the question, but being open to listening to them. Chuck, you told me about situation that you were in being angry. What was it yesterday? Um, and you asked your higher power, give me this opportunity. Do you want to tell the story? Yeah. So basically like I've been in a lot of self-will lately. Like I've been running around, like I'm not a good recovered person and, um, and I'm aware of it. Right. So I've started taking action. Like I, I got beaten into having to turn back towards AA in a real meaningful way. I had put it on the back burner so I could move across the country. And now it's time for my recovery to kick in again. And I'm seeing it all happen in all the relationships. Like I'm not treating people well. I'm, I'm, I'm easily angered. All the untreated alcoholism that the book describes, page 52, The Bedevilments. I was driving, dropping my daughter off at daycare. And I asked God in my head, I said, God, please give me an opportunity to, to speak more around recovery. It's something I love to do. And I know that this is what I need right now. Less than five minutes later, Jason texts me asking me to share the podcast. That is God working in my life. That is that communication. I know when I ask, he's going to answer, whether it's through Jason, whether it's through Chris, whether it's through my wife, whether it's through whatever, coincidence, license plates, nature, a crazy wind that blows something in front of me that all of a sudden has significant meaning that no one else can understand. God doesn't necessarily speak English. He speaks universe. So there's infinite ways in which he, she, it can connect with you as long as you're open to receiving what those things are. And if you're not, like, ask your higher power, like, connect with me. Show me you're here. Like, God wants nothing more. It says in the big book, God does not make too hard a term to those who seek him. So with that in mind, like, what makes me think that God doesn't want me to do the right thing or that he's going to make it hard for me to touch base with him? Like, that's not what the book says, and that's not been my experience. So reach out to God. Reach out to your higher power. Ask for that connection. You'll get it. One thing that one of our recent guests said is, and this was around the concept of higher power, is why not? Why not just believe that there is something greater than me? What are you going to lose? And I really love the way that he put that because that's where I was when I was walking into rehab. 
previously I had told myself that if I ever go to rehab, that's it. Then I'm a real alcoholic. Then I'm a real drug addict, right? And I was there. And so the first day I remember coming back from one of the sessions, which was like up the hill through the, the fields and stuff. And I was walking back to, to the dorm and I just said to myself, I said, you know, I don't know if there's a God or not. <clears throat> I was, I grew up Catholic. I'm not Catholic anymore. I don't know what I really believe in, but whatever's there, just take this shame, take this guilt, take this pain take all of this shit that I'm dealing with right now and just hang on to it for me for 28 days and just let me be here and listen and connect with some people, even if I never see them again, and just let me get this. And 28 days went by and I walked out of there a changed human being. Like I'm starting to get emotional just thinking about it. I mean, just from that, like you said Chuck, that creature dying on a couch to someone who was willing to live, that changed for me. And I don't know if it's because I gave my higher power all of that shit that I was carrying around or not, but it worked. Spiritual experience in the big book, when I meet with sponsors, it's one of the first things I read to them because there's a lot of misconceptions on what a spiritual experience is. But basically what it says is it's a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. Right. So you think about the Jason that went in and the Jason that came out. It's a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from our disease. Sometimes it happens quickly in a white light capacity. Other times it's the educational variety, but it happens to all those that seek it. And all of a sudden, when I characterize it like that, my sponsees who thinks that, you know, their higher power needs to visit them at their bedside at night, a giant white cloaking, like, oh, it's like, it doesn't happen for them. They're like, where's God? You know, and then I'm like, you realize that like, you didn't tell a lie this week, right? You're like, they're like, yeah. And I'm like, your personality's changing. That is not the addict. That is not the alcoholic you were two weeks ago. You're changing. It's like weight loss, right? That's why we have fellows. That's why the circle and triangle exists so that we can keep each other accountable, right? I'm going to see the change in you long before you'll see it in yourself because I don't see you every day. You, you look at yourself in the mirror every day. You're not going to notice when you stop lying. You're not going to notice when you start holding doors for people or when you start calling sponsees all the time. It's people that don't see you every day. Chris, you did this to Jason. You're like, he was a totally different person. He had the 28 days to look at himself in the mirror every day. You got to see him when he came out. He was a different person. And it's because he had a spiritual experience. And that's what this program does to people. It's great. It is great. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. It's funny when you're talking about your daughter going down the stairs. <laughs> My son's a maniac, but he's a little older, so he can run up and down. He's almost three. But a lot of these principles I've been trying to incorporate in their lives, not perfectly, like you said, like all of us, we all have our faults, but you know, being able to truly be present with them. My favorite thing to do with them is walk around. We go for walks all the time and I put my phone away and just be present. And God speaks to me in those moments so many times, just things I'm not even thinking about. There's a lot of clarity that, that comes your way. So you're talking about, you know, your spiritual representation. It's just, it's amazing when you're open to it. Like you said, Jason, you have to be willing to receive it. That's like those meditative moments, right? Like you put your phone away and you're present. Like the chaos stops, like I turn it off. 
And then all of a sudden God shows up and like, what a better man, like spot than like with these beautiful kids. That's like God's garden. Like, you know, it makes sense. So Chuck, one of the things that we like to ask our guest hosts is what's one thing that you would tell a newcomer that you would share from your experience that might help someone tonight? So there's so much. I just don't want to repeat, like, there's the get a sponsor, set aside everything you know, the, the set aside prayer is so good. Um, there's a quote in the big book by Herbert Spencer, and I'll just paraphrase it. It's at the end of spiritual experience. It said, there's like one thing that can stop a man from everlasting ignorance and it's contempt prior to investigation. And I love that quote because what it essentially is saying is that we come into the rooms, a lot of us do, we think we know everything, but we haven't tried any of it. We think we know the outcomes to stuff, but we've never experienced it. Set aside all that for a moment. If you're new, consider that there might be something that you don't know that all of us that are on the far side of this thing, still working to stay recovered, might have found something that you do not yet know exists and that we will happily pass that on to you. So set aside all your preconceived notions that you know what's best for you and let us love you and let us care for you. Let us show you this way so you can find this thing that we have and do it without thinking that you know all the answers. And let us just guide you there. So that would be it. I love that. And I think that's more for everyone and not just the newcomers. I think that at two years, at 20 years, at 50 years, we have to remember that because we get set in our ways and we have to remember that we don't always know what's best for us. So I love that quote. I'm going to go back into my book tonight and read that before I go to bed. Good, man. You know, it, it was pointed out to me and I was like, this is beautiful. It just is. God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, recovery, you and the 12 steps that I might have an open mind and a new experience. And the thing is, is like every time we open up that book or every time we, we share about it, the page is different. It's like, because we're different. The book grows, the program grows, and it's this living thing. And it's beautiful. I love that. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for coming on tonight, for sharing your story and really putting into perspective the idea of how pain is powerful and really being able to use that as a motivator for my recovery. And I don't have to punish myself for it. And it's really true. So thank you so much. It's really great seeing you. You're so welcome, Jason. It's great seeing you too. And Chris, thanks for everything. Great to see you. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.